Welcome to Behind the DM Screen. It is June of 2016, and we are three DMs talking about our games and helping each other out. Uh, did I miss anything? Is that it? That's no, it. Sounds good. All right, we got Mike Shea, we got uh, DM Samuel over here, uh, and I am Jeff. And uh, Mike gets to start today. So, Mike, uh, yeah. I understand you you uh, drank some bad milk this evening. I did. So, let's, I did. Let, let's so, get, let's yeah, get we'll yours out of the way before you start puking. Yeah, we'll see how this podcast goes. Right, yeah, don't, eat, don't eat a bowl of cereal. If that cereal tastes funny, stop. Stop eating. <laughs> there you go. That's All what right. I learned today. I wish I'd done that. All right, ready? <laughs> yeah. Go. I don't know what I was going to talk about. Your game? Oh, yeah, my game. So um, I'm running two Storm King's Thunder games simultaneously, as we've discussed before. Uh, one of them is a group of Zinterim, and one of them is a group of Harpers. And both are on very different paths. Both are completely off the rails. Um, the Harpers are actually doing a lot of work with Klauth, uh, the, um, the Red Dragon. Mm -hmm. And the Zinterim are currently in the process of finding old Red Wizard portals that exist underneath uh, the Sword Coast so that they can teleport around. And they're on their way to head to Klauth. But their interaction with Cloth is going to be significantly different when so, they, when so they arrive. So is this just like them trying to establish infrastructure so that they can settle yeah. the West? Is well, <laughs> oh my god, yes. The Zinterim part is really complicated. They okay. actually got involved with um, Lady Morwen Daggerford, uh, who is the current head of Daggerford, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and by the way, I'm going to be spewing out spoilers as though I had drank a bad bowl of spoiler milk. <laughs> um, so one of the spoilers, for example, is that uh, Morwen Daggerford is not actually Morwen Daggerford, but is a uh, succubus uh, whose name escapes me, Panashto or something like that. And um, in my and then so the real Morwen Daggerford is actually being held at Crom's Hold, which is uh, the castle of Wyn Crom. Uh, a Baroness nearby, and the Baroness and Morwen Daggerford are kind of in a cold war with one another. And so Morwen is actually being held in prison. So our group of Zinterim, they have a handler, a Zinterim handler named Whitefeather, and Whitefeather takes them to Morwen Daggerford and says, we would like, you know, Morwen, they have a big dinner, and Morwen says, I would, I have a problem. Uh, my rival, uh, Wynne Crum, has an assassin, a doppelganger assassin in her basement. And I need you in her in the cellars of her keep. And she's going to try to kill me and replace me with this doppelganger. I want you to go there and kill the doppelganger. Uh, and and then I will help you discover where these red wizard portals are that you that you require in order to get around the sword coast. So they said, Yeah, that sounds fine. So they go to the they go to the keep and they go down to the basement where they find these like troll trolls with metal are you know, metal like infused trolls, trolls that they're using as war machines that win crom and her kind are using they break into the basement of the castle that's a whole big story but no, i'll skip i'll skip a lot of it then they, they find um morwen daggerford and it occurs to them how do we actually know this is a doppelganger and but they're like well whether she's a doppelganger or not doesn't change our situation at all because we're not about to switch sides and go with the real morwen daggerford when we already have an alliance with whoever it is that's sitting on that throne which at least one of the characters knows is a succubus because she tried to seduce him and failed, and he slept with her anyway. <laughs> uh, so he's like, 
Yeah, because they're like standing there. She she well, she tries to. She so she didn't him. fail to seduce him. She successfully well, seduced right. him. Well, right. She actually successfully seduced him. She kisses him, and he feels the charm, and then he rolls his check, and he succeeds. And she pulls back, and she's got the big bat wings and the horns, and he's like staring at her. And she looks at him and says, "Well, this is kind of awkward." And he goes, "Not for me. I'm, I'm not a, not a deal breaker." And she's like, "Oh, okay." And then the next day, he's walking across town, kind of weaving back and forth with his shirt inside out. So, but anyway, the whole part, the whole the players all knew it was a succubus. His character knew it was a succubus and didn't bother to mention it because he's like, it really is irrelevant anyway. And so when they got to Mormon Crom, they ended up feeding her to the trolls, the real Mormon Crom. Hmm. So now they have an alliance. <laughs> they have an alliance with the succubus who's running Daggerford, and they also worked out a marriage arrangement between. Win Crom's young son and Morwen Daggerford, which is hysterical because he's like 12 and she's a succubus. So, <laughs> you know, they're like, hey, whatever, you know. Oh, and, and Win Crom has a um, an Erinese, a male Erinese that works for her. So there's like these two devils that are kind of struggling for control of, over the, you know, over uh, Crom's hold and Daggerford. And our group is just kind of in the middle. And they're like, hey, whatever, you know, we just want access to our portal. Uh, so they got a map. Well, the, the, the fun thing is that both of these devils are here because the Red Wizards had summoned them 10 years earlier as part of their whole invasion of the Sword Coast. They basically just left them there when they abandoned the idea. Hmm. Do you remember the whole Dragon Spear Castle campaign? Yeah, yeah. The, the Red Wizards. So, you know, yeah. that, that all occurred. The Red Wizards are left a whole bunch of stuff on the Sword Coast. And then left and said, we're, we're done. This is, you know, kind of like the British with the Americans. Ah, this is costing too much money. We're done. So, um, uh, so the party's like, hey, we can use these real red wizards portals that are sitting here. The devil said, we know where they are because we were summoned through them. So we'll tell you where they are. So the party is now going to Dragonspear Castle to find the red wizard portal that exists in the basement. And the fun bit there is the castle is full of like old red wizard stuff. So, they haven't gotten there yet, but there's going to be a huge chamber that has a thousand skeletons standing at attention, waiting to be commanded. <laughs> right? And if they touch them, they will attack. But the skeletons will all like look to them, you know, not looking for orders, but they're not going to attack because they're not ordered to, right? Mm -hmm. They're all under command of some red wizard who's long gone and just, ah, forget, it. I'll just leave here. Right? So they're finding all these like old red wizard artifacts from the war. And they're going to use the portals, and they're going to go to Neverwinter Wood, where the Dread Ring is, right. this big dent section of the ground that the Red Wizards left there, um, and make their way to um, uh, uh, Cloud. So that's what's going on with the Zinthrim group, and that's a lot of fun. So again, they're like, we haven't seen a giant in like seven weeks. Yeah, so they don't this, care about the giant plot yeah, at just, all. Well, they're they, they're they just establishing some fun, some fun, in, you know, they uh, are, infrastructure yeah, for they, the Zints. Yeah, and and they're 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 good with it. But like one of the players has you know played Storm King's Thunder for other with other groups, and he's like, man, you know, you bring the book with you every week, but I don't think we're even in it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, I said, you know, I said, this, like, I'm definitely, I've already got like a path in my head. They're going to go to Klaus. Klaus is going to send them to the the Eye of the All Father. The All of the All, they're going to, you know, the All Father is going to show up and say, I want you to kill some dragon lords, and then I'll bother to pay attention to you, and then they'll kill some dragon lords, and then. The all father pay attention pay attention to him and, and then you know whatever they're gonna That's, kill dragon the, lords the uh, giant lords oh, okay <laughs> the giant chiefs and whatever yeah the giant yeah they'll kill a few of them they already killed the the i know they had what did they kill well the, the hill giant one's already dead okay and and they'll probably do fire and maybe cloud and then i i think that's all I'll bother so, with so what is it that's driving them to clouth 
so right now, their other Zintern handler, who they're working kind of for and against, is Gemna Gleamsilver. And mm-hmm. she's, she gave them this long package, this black wrapped package, wrapped with a metal serpent, that she says, you have to bring this to Klauth. He has to have it. You've got to bring it to him, and, and he will tell you, you know, he'll, and, and then ask him what the hell's going on with the ordning, and, and he'll help you. Well, they've, they've been very careful about not opening the package. And inside is a wand of fireballs, right? Um, but they're not opening it up, and they're going to bring it to him, and he's going to open up and go, hey, look, a wand of fireballs. And he's going to turn around, and he's going to stick it in a bottle in a, that, uh, of a jar where there's like seven wands of fireballs, right? Because he's got as many wands of fireballs as well. But it's a nice gesture from this ends, and then he'll work with them on Sure, I'll tell you about the ordning, and if you want to know about the ordning, go to this place, right? Okay. So, so that's their 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 drive to go there is that the Zen said we you know this ordning we want to understand what's going on with the ordning and figure out how to use it to our advantage. You know, like if we can sure. if we can steer the new giant thing so that it's beneficial to the Zen. So whoever that, comes out that, on top, that that they're they're our allies. Yeah, kind of. So that that's but again, like I don't really have any deep thoughts about how the hell that's going. Sure. Um, they haven't even met Imrith yet, although I think they started getting, yeah, they, they started having the premonitions of Imrith. So they, they now have a magic item that Imrith is connected to, so she can spy on them. And they every so often they have these dreams where Imrith kind of shows up. Whenever this guy uses this item, I think it's a pearl of power, and whenever he uses the item, he kind of sees Imrith staring at her. Uh-huh. staring. At her. So that way she can become a villain. And then she'll actually show up when they go to the Eye of the Allfather, and she'll be a fun villain. I'm, I'm really, I, I, I really dig Imrith as a villain. For this whole campaign, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have like a whole mini campaign when they go to her lair, you know, the, the her her I forget what it's called, like the city of towers, or the, the 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 city of the unnamed, mm-hmm. which is in Anoruk Desert, and you know, it'll be this a whole city lost in time. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, so that's the Zent one, and that one's that one's holding together pretty well. The um, Harper one, uh, they are on their way. You're gonna love this. They're on their way to Darkhold, the Zinterim castle mm-hmm. to steal the third item for the bastard son of the Allfather, who's a guy named Thrum. And the three items that Thrum had that were gifted to him by his giant godfather was a belt, a set of bracers, uh, or gauntlets, and a hammer. And they picked up the hammer in uh, the per- uh, um, in its whelm from uh, White Plume Mountain. Mm-hmm. They got the bracers by going to a casino, a gambling ship, and and getting them off of a, um, getting them off of the commander of the ship. Yeah, I think you, you remember we talked about what to do with those, and you guys said, yeah, don't go, don't just put them on a bad guy and they go hunt the bad guy down. Remember that from like yeah. a bunch of episodes ago? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, you know, like, no, I don't remember, but I'll just keep the conversation going. So, um, <laughs> I, I put them on the guy, he's, he's the guy who runs the ship, which I think is like the Golden Goose or something like that. And it's this gambling ship that goes, it's a riverboat that goes up and down the river. And they had this wonderful scene where they were trying to break onto the ship and they were going to go like figure out how to get these gauntlets from this guy who's like, he's like a noble. He's not really anybody important, but he loves his big, strong gauntlets. And he's got this connection to this weird watery creature known as the Slarkrathal, right? And they, they started to learn about the Slarkrathal when they were there. They saw this tiny little octopus. And when it looked at one of the characters, they had to make like a DC... 23 charisma saving throw or go mad mm-hmm. and they went they went mad because no one can make it to dc 23 charisma saving throw and then um they saw this the, the you know they, they got this mind this mental connection to this locker doll this is one of the other villains um 
So then they're on the riverboat, and Ibrith shows up, and that's connected to the to the the, the society of the Kraken sort of yeah, tease right. that's that's in Storm King's Thunder, right? I think, I think it's more than a tease. I mean, there's a whole section about it. Yeah, but it, I mean, there's such a weird sort of aside that doesn't really have anything else to do with that story. I I feel I, guess, I, feel, I mean I feel I'm like they're it. I feel like they're they're introducing. Uh, a concept and an organization that's going to play a role in like a future storyline or and something. Who knows? Yeah. Sort of like I they think. did with um, there was stuff in. I guess it's also in this in this book in Storm King's Thunder, right? They also sort of tease out some some things well, like the, 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 Ring, the of Ring of Winter and yeah and all that. Yeah. Right. Uh, I I don't know if they're going to go back to this, but anyway, that my my whole version is that there's this basically this entire society that worships the Slarkothal at the Purple Isles, and now that he woke up. They're, you know, they're kind of going crazier, crazier, and they're the ones that are holding Hecaton. So, mm -hmm. you know, the party can go and, and go to the Purple Isles, and they could rescue Hecaton from the embrace of Slackrathal and his and his cult minions, who are, you know, basically an entire society that lives kind of isolated in that Purple Isles and gives sacrifices their children to this, you know, god below, which I think is cool. It's got this whole like uh, in his mouth, you know, in his mouth feel to it, yeah, from the Lovecrafty stuff. Um, so, yeah, so they're trying to get the third item, you know, it's kind of like Thor's, Thor's stuff, right? The whole, I'm doing a lot of, like, I read Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology and now I'm doing Thor shit. Oh, okay. So, um, they want to get the hammer, they, they already have, they have the hammer, they have the gauntlets, and now they need to get the belt. And the belt is held by a warlord who's trying to rebuild the old Zinterim. He wants to kind of, you know, put the Zinterim back as an actual military force, not just a bunch of mercenaries. And he's in Darkhold, and so they had they're they're now on their way to Darkhold to try to break in there, figure out what and, and figure out how they can get the belt from this guy, other than you know, up to and including just killing him and taking it. But you know, Darkhold's got eight hundred troops, so it's not like you just walk in the front door and expect things are going to go right. Right. Um, although, although so, it's, it's a Zin oh no, because this is the Harper group. Yeah, they're Harpers. Okay, right. I was going to say now, it's a, they, it's, a, it's a Zin stronghold. They're Zins. They could just walk in, right? But it's yeah, the wrong, no, it's the wrong they, group. They have Zin friends. Uh, they 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 allied with the Seven Snakes. Oh, um, okay. And now the Seven Snakes actually left the Zins and are now hanging out at Skullport. So that's, last night that's they went the to other adventuring party that they bump into, right? Yeah, that's the one that they run into in right in the beginning. And yeah. and I have the Seven Snakes in both campaigns, but in different sort of roles. And in the in the Harper one, they 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 both met up when they were trying to get through White Plume Mountain and steal these items. And the Seven Snakes were like, you know, we're down to like three snakes now, so we quit. <laughs> like <laughs> this is just um, you guys win. We, you, we'd rather you, work for you than sense. Do you role play the individual members of the Seven Sometimes, Snakes? Yeah, the yeah, but like, do you role play them like the same way in each group so that you like, don't, don't confuse no, them well, in your head? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I do do that. Like, you know, the the one that I always have in mind is there's a female, powerful female dwarf with little spectacles, and she's kind of very knowledgeable, but she's also like this kick-ass fighter on top of it, you mm -hmm. know, real stuff. So she's kind of his second, you know. And then there's his girlfriend who's in the book, and you know, then there's like the weird, you know, couple a couple other characters. So yeah, I, I have I don't have all seven. But sure, I've got two or three that, that I kind of keep in mind. Um. So that's where that one is. Uh, I kind of sat down and said, okay, if I if I look at this campaign, like what kind of major sections are left? And with the Harper one, it's rescue Hecaton, Zalto, get the final artifact from Thrum, um, kill the Dodkong, who is the, the the stone giant lich that's doing all kinds of bad stuff, mm -hmm. uh, kill Imrith, uh, kill Slarkrathal, and maybe go after Jarl Throgal, the frost giant, but I think we're going to skip that. 
So, you know, my, I, I asked them yesterday, I'm like, how long do you guys want this campaign to go? Like, are you good? My, my thought is we can wait till November. And in November, we'll have Xanathar's Guide. Right. Uh, we'll have Xanathar's Guide and Schultz. And it'd be nice to start a brand new, fresh campaign with a new player book with lots of player options and a whole new campaign that's in an area you've never been to before. We'll mm-hmm. start. It'll be you know, and, then, and, I, and by uh, Chalt, you mean you mean uh, Tomb of Annihilation, which Tomb takes place in Chalt. Yeah, right. But I think the adventure has a lot of Chalt stuff in it. So. Sure. Yeah, it's supposed to have like a little mini gazetteer or something. Right. Kind of like the Chapter 4 and Storm Kings. Right. Yep. Yep. Only hopefully a little bit more compact. Because <laughs> the one in Storm Kings is all over the place. Mm-hmm. I don't need 180 locations. I'm good with like 20, 20 good ones. I'll bet it's going to be pretty extensive since it's not an area that they've dealt with a lot lately. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not a huge. I mean, literally, like you can you can map out all the places that are in Chapter Four, and it's like, you know, eight thousand miles worth of stuff. Right. Yeah. So I don't think you know Schultz not that big. So I'm hoping it's more like um, a little bit more like uh, Curse of Strahd, in that you know, yeah, there's a bunch of locations, and yeah, there's enough geography that you can really explore it, but it's not so bad that it takes you more than a week to cross it. Mm. So we'll see. Anyway, yeah, both my games are going well. I did have a question. Can I bring up a question? I know I'm over. I'm I'm overdue. Yeah, we sure. always are. Okay. Um, yeah, we always are. That, that so, timer's just a suggestion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I had an interesting situation. If you recall in the book, uh, there's a part where the dark elves can steal uh, Megara, the the Titan, the the uh, primordial. Uh, yeah, yeah, from from, from Dantelgrim. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, I had that happen, and I had the Harpers find out, and the Harpers went to the party and said, you've got to get that thing back. It's on its way to Duke Zalto, and he can't get it. Stop it. So they did. They, they had this nice fight where they fought a bunch of drow, and then fought, you know, then giants showed up. They ran from the giants and teleported away, but they got the jar. And Klaus said to them, don't bring it to the stupid dwarves. Give it to me. Right? Like, I'm, you know, I'm a much better caretaker for things like that. And he, and he kind of, like, in his little gnomish form, sat next to one of the characters on a cliffside and said, you really need to bring that to me, right? And the guy's like, yeah, I'll bring it to you. He's like, okay, good. And and then they got back with it. They teleported back to Cloud's Lair. And um, Erlanthar showed up. Leos and Erlanthar, their harbor agent, showed up. And he said, you can't give it to Cloud. We know that he's helping us with this, but he is a freaking red dragon. And he may be the most powerful dragon in Faroon right now. You can't give him something like this because, you know, the balance of power will be too good. Go bring it back to the dwarves, right? So then the party had, like, the players had this big discussion that went on for, like, 20 minutes. I'm getting I'm getting cocoa and I'm doing other things. And they're figuring out, and, they, and it was, like, a split decision. And finally, somebody made the split and said, yeah, okay, let's bring it back to the dwarves. They got to meet Brunor. They met Caddy Bray. They met Drizzt, um, which is a little cheesy, but, like, yeah, they're there. Yeah. And, um they brought it back, and the whole time they're like giving shit to Brunor and his company. Like, you know, you lost it once. Like, how do we trust you're not going to lose it again? And he's like, Well, we're going to, you know, double our guards, and we cleared out the pathways that got him here. And it took them a significant amount of power to get it, including magic from Imrith that she probably can't replicate. So um, we're we're pretty confident we're going to be able to hold it again. But I understand why you are worried, and if you're still worried, you can, you know, if you don't give it back to us, we'll understand. We're not going to hate you. Well, we'll hate you, but we're not going to attack you. So um, anyway, it was interesting. The question I have is like putting these choices. We, you know, it seems like hard choices are really a great thing in D and D. Like you should have these options where neither is like a failure, you know. Like, but both of them really matter. Mm-hmm. And I've put groups in these situations more than once, and man, it drives them crazy. Like it's the kind of thing they think they want, mm-hmm. and then they really don't when it shows up. Oh, but, but it makes DMing super easy. 
Because then, like, well, like you said, because once you've set that up, like, you sat back for for half an hour and let them them argue it. I I don't mind, but I also don't, you know, I I had one player send me a note afterwards saying, you know, that was awesome. Like, the idea that we knew we had this monumental choice, but that we also knew we weren't going to be screwed made it a lot of fun. But I'm not sure all the players felt that way. In fact, like, a couple people where it went the opposite way, I think they felt like they got screwed because... We, we, you know, we said we were going to bring it to Klaus, and now we're not. Now yeah. we're going to stupid wars. Yeah, yeah. No, I, my group has has uh, different issues with that same sort of deal, and 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 my group will sometimes get into these hefty like deep debates and arguments and whatever about what to do when when the stakes are even way lower, right? Um, right. Like, like the fate of the world is, does not rest on this. You know, yeah. maybe the lives of a dozen people uh, or the possibility of you getting a magic item or whatever rests right. in, rest in the balance. And yet they <laughs> they will sit there and discuss it and debate it for, for 45 minutes to an hour pretty consistently, which makes my job easy as a DM because I don't have to right. like, do anything. Right? Uh, now, uh, do you feel like the players are all having fun during well, the debate? To a degree, yes, but I do feel like it's happening maybe a little overly much because, like, I, I got to the end of the last session and and I felt like um, after they had one of these big discussions, I kind of felt like I like the the discussion and the debate and, and the making difficult choices piece of it. But man, guys, let's let's put a timer on it because because we right. killed an hour and there's a lot of game we didn't play tonight and it was one of our <laughs> players' first session ever of D&D. Oh, wow. And this like, is all his, we do is debate about all, Yeah, and he's like, all we do is sit around and argue about stuff. What, what the hell is the point? <laughs> you know, so. so, yeah, no, I yeah. get that. And there's a whole other element there uh, of it possibly being fun killing, you know? So. What about you, Sam? How do you what do you do you do you have situations like that? How do your players react and what do you what do you think is the what well, do you think I, is the reaction? I just want to start by saying that it does not shock me at all that when your players are debating what they're gonna do next year in the other room making hot cocoa. Right. That's where <laughs> I, I'm probably half of my time is spent making cocoa, so <laughs> um you know, I, I'm with a new group and um they have not really faced that particular type of decision yet. So I can't really say, or, or that how about, particular how about in the past? Um, you know, I, my, in, in the past, the players I've had have been, uh, boisterous enough and, and talkative enough with each other that when they negotiate and or and, you know if if they're faced with something and they get told they have to do something they don't agree to it unless they actually agree to it you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so it they don't they they don't typically get their minds changed by an npc telling them that something is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do right. unless they actually also agree and then there's a big conversation about it and then they then they acquiesce or or then they all end up negotiating and agreeing well, or but i don't think the know. issue is that the the npc jumped in and gave them incentive one way or the other i think the the primary issue was that they they were split before that right mike yeah, yeah, they were split. Um, <laughs> sorry, I thought you were talking about Sam. So they they were split. Um, you know, they, I've had it more than once where they're split, like you know, three to four, or or you know, four to two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and it's actually like that. That's like when when as a DM does it need to be unanimous for the sake of the fun of the group? You know, or is it going to cause a rift? You know, like should we kill this guy? 
you know, like I, I, I remember I mentioned the assassination of uh, Morwen Daggerford and I stopped at one point and I said, is everybody comfortable with this? You know, because like if we're going to murder a noble lord, literally like <laughs> she's in her, you know, you're going to sick, you're going to eat. Me. I want to make sure the players, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're fine. You know, even the ones that were like, oh, maybe we should think about it. They're like, no, 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 it's, it's cool. And I'm like, OK. Yeah. So, yeah, I um, mean, I get where you're coming from, I guess. I guess my thing. I mean, I suppose in the past it hasn't always been the case that my groups have been. I guess you know my most recent group, before the one I have now, was they were all very strong-willed, and so by the time they talked out something and they made their decision, they all had either swayed each other to that to that point of view, or uh, so if someone sort of let them have their way, then they knew later on they're going to get their way. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. I mean, I think, yeah, so I think one thing I want to do is actually check in with the players who went the other way and say, mm -hmm. how do you feel about it now? Mm -hmm. You know, and if it's like, yeah. well, I think we made the wrong choice, but whatever, then it's like, okay, that's fine. But if it's like, no, it really bothered me. Like, you know, we said we were going to give it to Clouth and we didn't. Now Clouth is going to be pissed. You know, the, the, let's say if, if my current group had that particular conundrum, the thing that I would say to those players is role play your character's disappointment at that change in plan sure yeah you know and you don't I, want, I don't you don't want like, too much group. yeah yeah you, you know I, but i mean i don't mean as a oh i'm gonna you know role play that you're pissed off at player b or your player b's character and get in a big pvp fight right mm -hmm. i mean like the next time there is a big decision to be made you need to bring that up and bring that back around and say hey you know We've already made some bad decisions. Why don't you you listen to me this time? Because you have been, you know, you 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 half of the group determined that we were going to do this thing over here, and that has done nothing but bad things for us. Let's listen to me now, and here's what we're doing. Or you, or even just you got to make a choice last time. It's my turn. You guys listen to me now. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that's that's what I would suggest. And my group now that I have they would take to that really well. And they would actually, while I was off making cocoa, a la Mike Shea, mm -hmm. they would actually be hashing it out at the table. And it wouldn't yeah. even matter that I wasn't sitting there. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of what they did. It's just sort of what's the after effect. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, yeah. so I don't know. Anyway, it's, you know, it's all good fun, but it's, it's one of those interesting things where, like, people want open campaigns with meaningful choices. And and my other group was the same exact thing. I'm sorry if we go for over. My, my other group, they have, I, I mentioned they have two different Zen handlers, right? Gemna Gleamsilver and another one named Whitefeather. And they have a cold war going on, and they have right. not yet picked one of them to follow. They're still doing jobs for both because they don't want to make the choice. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and, and right now it's not a problem, but eventually they're going to have to make a choice. So maybe, I don't know, maybe not. So anyway, here, Sorry, here, here's what I think, Mike. I think all of your players should go out and, and reward themselves for making hard decisions by buying new dice from EasyRollerDice.com. Really? EasyRollerDice? EasyRollerDice.com. Oh, man, I love EasyRollerDice. <laughs> Tell me about why you love EasyRollerDice. Well, A, because they gave me some free dice. But I also really <laughs> like them. Because the dice are awesome. And I did buy a whole bunch of dice from them as well. Like dice? Need more dice? Check out EasyRollerDice.com for amazing dice, including their gunmetal and rose gold collections. When you visit, make sure to use coupon code TOME. That's T-O-M-E. At checkout and save 15% immediately. 
Again, go to EasyRollerDice.com and use code TONE at checkout and save 15% and snag yourself some great dice and gaming accessories. Um, I actually met them at Origins. I met, I met the three guys that, that run the company. Yeah, yeah, you, and, and you mentioned that on Facebook, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I, I posted links and pictures and stuff like that, and they were they were they were awesome folks, and they had a really nice booth, and they had awesome dice, and I did get uh, my 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 wife Michelle got a set of dice, so I love their metal dice. You know, mm-hmm. they've got they've got a bunch of different brands of metal dice, and the the dice come in a nice case that you can flip open and then use as a dice tray, which I really mm-hmm. dig. Um, they're just they're beautiful. There's many many different colors. They have a bunch of different metallics but then they also have their gunmetal gunmetal with a bunch of different colors that's what i bought i bought yeah, i bought I'm myself the, i bought myself yeah. the gunmetal with the i think i got the yellow yeah numbers so on it, yellow, so it really pops. i've got a bunch i've got the yellow the green the white and now a gold and um the white is my favorite because it's so easy to read yeah i'm just you know i'm old and i like to be able to read things um so my white is my go-to set um they now have skull cases as well as uh rectangular cases the skull cases have uh, 4d6s as well as their normal array so you don't have to if you, if you tend to use d6s that's what i use as a player i like to have a little bit more extra dice um, as a dm i actually don't roll damage so all i really need are the 20s and the other dice is just to determine like what random stuff happens to random people um but yeah i love their dice great stuff right on so uh so i don't i have a set of metal dice uh, they're not from EasyRoller.com, not because oh. I don't like Easy Roller, but because somebody gave them to me as a gift. Um, and here's my problem: they're very heavy, mm-hmm. and so I. So here's here's where I'm going with this. I'm a little bit skeptical that if I were to buy a really awesome set of metal dice from EasyRoller.com, that I would even be able to use them because. Uh, the the place where I play, they have a really nice wooden table, and I mm-hmm. don't want to mess up the finish on their table. So, can you allay my fears? Yes, yes, in two ways. One is I am very conscious of weight as well because uh, when I travel, I like to travel very light. Um, and uh, I actually replaced my bag of big dice with one set of easy roller dice, the the metal dice, and. Now it's less dice, like you know. And if I'm mm-hmm. playing, and it's like, well, I should have three d8, but I don't have three d8. I got to roll the d8 multiple times. So there's a little bit of a hassle there. Um, but the the weight between a big bag of normal dice and one package of easy roller dice is, is probably not that extensive. They're not big dice, right? They're not huge yeah, metal dice. They're pretty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're normal size. I found them to be relatively light. I had I I only yeah. just got mine in between my last session and my session that's coming up in like two days. So I haven't actually had the chance to use them at the table yet. I can report back uh, later though to find out if they they bang up my table or something though. Well, and one other thing is you mentioned about banging up the table. I do roll inside the top. Like that, the top has right, when you yeah. when you pop it off the top and you open it, it's got a nice little ridge. And you can roll your die right inside that top, and it, it feels great. It's like a it's, you know leatherette, you know, some kind of fake leather inside, and it, it right. just rolls really nicely. The skull one is nice because it's actually pretty big, and you can roll within that. And I, I used that at Origins all weekend, um, and and loved it. I was very happy with it. Awesome. Okay. Cool. So you should check it out. EasyRollerDice.com. Go up your dice game. Sam. And Sam. One last thing. Oh, sorry. Hang on. Uh, you yeah. can you can actually go buy like a single D twenty. Yeah, so I did that. If you, want to try, okay. if you want to try one die and just see if it's worthwhile, and I think it's like seven or eight bucks, you know, yeah. and and you can see like you know, and you can buy any of the colors and and, yeah. and you can see if you like it. And I used to do that before I, I got a pack that I brought with me. I would bring one metal die wrapped up in like a piece of tissue paper, 
along with my regular plastic dice. Yeah, I have a I have a dice I have dice trays a couple of different dice trays. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the old the dice tray that came in the bottom of the uh, Dungeon Masters token kit that Gale Force Nine put out for Fourth Edition, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really nice lightweight dice tray. Uh, and then I have another dice. But the problem with the dice tray is I roll in the open. I roll all my dice in the open. Sure. Yeah. And so the dice tray, everybody has to stand up to see. <laughs> yeah. This this one the, so, the ridge is not so big that they couldn't see. Yeah. I nice. do the same. I open. I open. I open in the open. I roll in the open as well, and I use that tray, and no one around the table has trouble with it. Okay. Great. There you go. All right, Sam. Yes, sir. Let let me get the timer going again. My phone went to sleep. It's been so long that Mike (laughs) kept talking. Well, then we (laughs) talked about dice. We did talk about dice, and that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, So, 15 minutes on the clock. Sam, tell us about your game. Okay, so I believe that um, in the last Behind the DM screen, I ended basically with uh, the party going into. Uh, the Sunless Citadel, and finding their little goblin friend, Gruck, who is the... Uh, they found him in the same place that most uh, most other groups found Meepo when they first played Sunless Citadel. Uh, and so he's not a kobold, he's a goblin, and I uh, told the story about how they're helping him find his dog. So, uh, they are... And then I told you how I sort of cobbled together the the lower f- levels of, of um, Keep on the Shadowfell mm-hmm. with... Sunless Citadel. So under the Sunless Citadel, instead of being the cavern level of Sunless Citadel, it's the lower level of keep of the keep, and uh, they end up meeting Sir Keegan or a skeleton that has the soul of Sir Keegan in it, um, and they hear uh, some information that it really isn't about the keep on the Shadowfell and isn't about Sunless Citadel, but it's more about my campaign. That just some background that they needed to know. As someone who uh, who never actually played uh, Keep on the Shadowfell, is Sir Keegan significant? So Sir Keegan uh, was the leader of the men who were uh, staked out at the at Shadowfell Keep that were holding the portal closed, uh, and he became tainted by the the evil that was trying to escape from the portal okay. and ended up slaughtering everybody including his own family and he and he is an opportunity for background exposition right he okay. is an opportunity for background exposition because he his soul can't leave that place until it he's gained release or you know he needs to to um gain some some clarity of thought and and some cleanliness because he went mad and he killed everyone so uh but not you know it was because he was tainted by the evil whatever so mm-hmm. but yeah, so that a little tiny bit of that is still in that whole setup but there's also other things that are related to the the different portals in the in the campaign that I'm running um so he is he's definitely an opportunity for getting some tools you know he he has this nice paladin sword that a that a lawful good uh, creature can wield that does damage, extra damage against undead and things like that, which I translated into it does uh, good damage against this particular portal that they're trying to uh, close and all this. It could it it can actually help stop this horrible ritual that's going on and um, and so uh, th- he helps them out uh, and um, they go and they uh, we had a new player join the group so they went down another level and um 
after they met with him, he was actually on the upper level. In the, I put him in one of the rooms in the Sunless Citadel, mm. in a hidden room. And they go down. They go down into the that level of the keep, and they find a bard who had been captured by the goblins. Because remember, outside there's this huge goblin horde invading everything. Mm-hmm. And they rescue him, and he becomes uh, one of the party members. And then they. Uh, they travel on and they enter a couple of different rooms filled with traps and then they uh, they find a chapel where there are some humans. Now, these are the first humans they've encountered. There are some humans that are putting on ceremonial garb and the ceremonial garb has this uh, really evil uh, uh, religious symbol stints or embroidered in all the robes that they've been seeing throughout this entire keep. Uh, and... Um, there's a mixture of symbols from the god Torog and uh, the um, what is the symbol of the Elder Elemental Eye, mm-hmm. which is really the cover for Thera's Done, which they don't know that yet <laughs> because they're actually uh, the priests that are that are donning these robes are actually trying to uh, perform a ritual and call a different creature in as part of their whole overall plan um and so the group hasn't discovered anything really about that other than this demon that they're trying to call anyway so they go through they find these priests they end up uh, trying to parlay and then they get into a fight uh and then they end up in the lower level which uses that really cool map from the keep on the shadow fell with blood all over the floor and there's like mm. a portal and there's like all this really cool stuff going on and they find these people about to do a sacrifice and so the big battle ensues and of course they overcome the the evil people and um and they rescue five or six townsfolk villagers who had been captured and were going to either be sacrificed or enslaved and um they leave the uh they figure out how to get everyone out of the keep uh and as they leave the keep they set off some different spells and distractions and they're they're kind of helping some of these prisoners who had were really not in good health and they're helping them out of because the town is still overcome by the goblin horde and the portal that was there was in the middle of the marketplace so they had to, you know, set off some distractions and cast some fog and do all these kind of interesting things. And and then they escape and they get everyone out. And then uh, the portal closes. But they only rescued half the people because uh, they went into the portal because when, one of, when they first got to town and they realized it was overrun, one of the, the rogue in the party went in and he tried to help this group of people that were... Uh, shacked up in the blacksmith's house, which was one of the only stone structures. And uh, the way that he was able to rescue those people that were in that pl- that that blacksmith's yard were was that there were these two young guys, it's like l- little kids, like 12 and 14 years old. They went and they distracted a bunch of goblins and it let him get everybody else out. But then those two kids got captured and he saw them being led down into the portal where they were taking all the other slaves. So that's why they went in, was to rescue those kids, because he felt responsible for those kids getting captured. They only got to rescue one of those. One of them is still missing. So, But the portal now closed when they left, at least they think. So that's kind of where we are right now. They're, they've decided that uh, they did find out a lot of inf- different information uh, based on what they found after they defeated. So they uh, they didn't defeat Calarel. He escaped. 
but they did find his office and they found a bunch of of good stuff and a bunch of information and uh and they and they found a letter from Paul DeMar to Calarell which uh connects them to the Thunderspire labyrinth uh place but of course it's kind of the same and kind of different cuz I'm converting it to 5th edition and so it's it's actually a lot different, mm-hmm. um, but the storyline is is kind of there. It's the ten, you know, it's the inspiration. I'm not I'm not running the whole thing. I'm I'm using it as inspiration for things. But you know, hey, if there's NPC names, I might as well just use NPC names sure. rather than make up all my whole thing. So or here's a map uh, already made. I might as well you know right. use that map and right. whatever. Yeah. So during this, so here's the cool thing. During this one final battle from the from from the previous session, uh, one of the PCs as part of his background, his He's a dwarf, and his whole clan was wiped out. Almost his whole clan was wiped out. And when they, when the people, he doesn't know who wiped them out, but when the invaders came and wiped out his clan, they um, carved uh, these sigils into his back. So his back has like all of these primordial sigils, either magically imbued onto it or like burnt in like uh, like a brand. Uh, in various different uh, um, different shapes and different words and all these things, which nobody can read because none of them read primordial. Mm. Um, and he gets every once in a while he gets these flashbacks. This is this was a, a flaw that he came up with as part of his character. He gets these flashbacks and he has something that is akin to PTSD. Um, and it only happens if he's in if he's in a very very stressful situation, or if he f- meets a trigger that reminds him of something that occurred, and it pops him back into that. Um, and so, when they were in the middle of this last battle, I had him go into one of these episodes, and he ended up actually helping them a great deal because they were actually in trouble in the battle, and it was the perfect time to let him sort of let his his uh, his rage I, I don't want to call it rage because it's not bar- it's not barbarian rage but it's basically he had this kind of battle rage happen and he took out a bunch of uh, people that were threatening him but as a result of that what I also did was I put consequences on that so he basically gained two levels of exhaustion right after that battle was mm-hmm. done and when he f- went to sleep he started having these dreams um after that battle, and then he realized he had this exhaustion, and they all and they went and they slept before they left the uh, the keep. We ended the session. So at the beginning of the next session, I had them start with this humongous battle in a place they've never been before, and they were battling a bunch of dark dwarves. And uh, the dark Dorgar. Right, and so okay. they they come in and they look at him, what their battles going on a little bit, and then they come in and they look at him and they say, "Oh, he has the map. Go get him." And then uh, basically, there's this huge TPK because there's just way too yeah. many dwarves, right? Mm. Except it was a dream from the beginning. I had planned it to be a dream. So when they when they all finally get knocked out. Uh, I basically say, okay, so we clean up like the because I had the battle map out, and so I clean that up, and I say, okay, now, ye, you know, and I'm pointing to the different players, and I said, okay, now you're waking up, and right before you wake up, and I sort of like narrate this little, you know, two minute little vignette that this person is dreaming about, 
and then the end of the dream ends with them he- hearing screams. And then I go to the next person. It's, okay, now you're about to wake up, and here's what you're you're dreaming about this, and you hear these voices, and then you hear these screams. And I go around, and then I get to the to the dwarf guy, and I say, okay, now you're screaming. <laughs> <laughs> you're the one doing the screaming and you've woken everyone up including the people that they rescued and everybody is really freaked out about the fact that you're screaming and so they wake him up and they learn it was all a dream but he recognized several of those dark dwarves because they were the ones who had slaughtered his clan mm. uh, so now they're convinced that there's some kind of a connection between some of the things that they found in Calarell's room and what's on his back, and some kind of dark dwarfs, which they have not run into in the game yet, uh, other than the dream sequence. Sure. So, so I'm I'm starting to bring in all these. And the other thing is that the other players, their dreams that they had also dealt with their backstories, and I'm just barely being able to sort of bring their backstories into the whole thing. So, uh, it's quite fun. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I actually wanted to talk about, I talked way longer than I thought about <laughs> just what was going on. Here's the thing I want to talk about. At the end of the last uh, last episode, I was telling you guys about how one of the problems with converting anything from fourth edition to fifth edition is the much uh, the different balance of number of creatures that you can fight. And so I'm kind of fiddling around with these minion rules to try to port them into fifth edition. And there's a couple of different ways that I'm thinking about doing minion rules. You know, there's I can use the sort of um, swarm rules that they have for fifth edition, kind of, like some kind of modified swarm rules. Or I can basically use fourth edition minion rules and sort of modify the creatures themselves. Or I could use, uh, Numenera has a, an interesting, like, group attack kind of rule that's kind of a cross between a min- minion set and like almost like a swarm thing. So so these are the three things I'm dealing with. So I'm, I'm kind of doing three different things. In the last session, the one I did was the modified minion rule. So basically what I did was I took these creatures and, you know, a Dwergar in, in 5th edition is pretty powerful. Like one individual Dwergar is pretty powerful. But they needed to be able to fight mini Dwergar and at least seem like they had kind of a fighting chance, right? Like in this particular dream sequence, I knew they were going to go down at the end. But they needed to feel like there was there a was reason light, to fight. You know, yeah, there was a reason to fight. And they, and it seemed, you know, they were there was a point when they were going, where it looked like they were going to win. Because they could stand up to, to these creatures um, until reinforcements arrived. Um, so what I did was I, I made these I made the Dwergar one-hit creatures, right? So it doesn't matter how much damage is done, one hit's going to take them out. Um, and I, But the problem isn't actually the taking them out. It's the amount of damage they can do when they're alive. So basically, I took the, the, you know, the fourth edition... Dwergar, they have the spines in their beards mm-hmm. that they can take off and throw. And so basically the majority of the, the sort of the creatures in this battle were just kind of run-of-the-mill standard Dwergar. Nothing special about them. They can't really enlarge. You know, that's one of the features of a Dwergar. It gets too enlarged. These, can't, they're not going to enlarge. They're the minions. All they really do is they can pull out, they have two, two spines in their, in their beards that they can pull out and they can throw the spines and they, and that's a ranged attack um, or they could use it with melee, like a dart in their hand. Um, But, but usually they're ranged attacks and they do one or two points of damage. And I say one or two, cause I couldn't decide. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And I, and it's, and I decided during the 
the battle, I decided they're each doing one damage. So so this minion is going to do maximum two damage, and he's going to go down with one hit. So basically, he's built to not really be, not go down, but he's a little tiny bit of a threat. Because the thing is, these guys are still like third level. Mm-hmm. And the rogue has a negative one constitution modifier. So he, you know, even though they're third level, he gets a negative one to his HP roll every time he level. He's got like, you know, 14 HP or something at third level. So it doesn't take much to get him down sure. into the danger zone. And, 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 and one or two points of damage will, will over time. That'll be a big and, deal. And, right, exactly. Because remember, there's 15 of these things. Right. So if they all pull out two quills... And they hit with one, on average, they'll hit with one and miss with the other one. Uh, you know, they could take him out in one turn. But it still seems like there's a fighting chance because they can be swarmed with these and they can take out a few uh, as they go. Mm-hmm. I also didn't allow them to take opportunity attacks. Sure. Because even though they're swarmed, if the if the group wanted to get away, I basically allow one of them to take an opportunity attack just to make the point of you can't just move away. Did the freely. players know that? Yeah, I, okay. I told them outright because I said, you know, I'm playing around with these rules, so I want I want feedback on how you feel it okay. went. I I so they didn't know it at first; they knew it about halfway through the battle because okay. yeah, I yeah. started talking. I could very it, easily right? see uh, a group of players seriously taking advantage of that if if it was known, right? Well, that's why I said I le- I would let one of if they were surrounded, one of them could get an opportunity attack. Okay, right. So it wasn't as it wasn't a zero. Um, and also, there were other... So those were just the minions. There were other Dwergar there. Like, sure. there, was the, there was a leader there, and there was a couple of big guards there. Um, so they, you know... There was some tactical things there that they needed to do to not really totally get decimated. Um, which they ended up anyway, because of the design of the of the flashback. Sure. But, um... So... So that's how it went. Um, and I think it went okay. I... I'm not sure... Um, and the thing is, like, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, I, I don't, I guess the question is, because I haven't run any real big battles, uh, with 5th edition characters where they fared very well at all, because I think, you know, and, and so I don't know if, though, if this is just my experience and it's the way I run games, but anytime there's one or two more enemies than there are PCs, they are really at a disadvantage. The PCs are? Yeah. Uh, and I think yeah, it might be pretty group dependent. I threw eight. I threw eight um, were rats at our group. I guess it's a group of six. So well, yeah. it's eight eight were rats in the gelatinous cube, but they never actually triggered the gelatinous cube. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm going to experiment more with large groups of monsters. I mean, try that out. but Mike, you also had uh, a relatively normal sized group of of mid to low level PCs take out a lich. So. Like yeah, you're, right. You're not working with the normal groups. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Well, I well, always but, hear that. But it but works I, the I other. It, a lot of groups. It works the That's other true. way though too. If the PCs greatly outnumber an enemy, the PCs have a great advantage, even if they're much lower level. Mm-hmm. As yeah. long as they can. Yeah, the hit action economy is a big, a big deal. Yeah. yeah. If they can hit that creature, like if the if its AC is not so high that they never hit, if they have a chance of hitting that creature, they'll take it out. Yeah, even my, my, a powerful casting, you know, enemy. If there's only one of that enemy and my four yeah. PCs or my five yeah. PCs, they'll, that they'll thing's done. Yeah, yeah, my my, yeah. my my party has figured out the combination of um, the warlock that can hex a creature, and when you hex it, you can give it disadvantage on a on a type of save. 
Uh, I thought it's a skill check. Is it a save? It's a save. So they're giving it disadvantage on con, and then the monk is coming up and stunning strike it. Which right. re- requires a con save. So, so if there's right. if there's one creature, like they have figured out how well, to just completely if, lock it yeah. down and make it immobile. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. You you have to assume that that's going to happen if it doesn't have legendary resistance. Right. Yeah. Like if there's yeah. any one monster, y- yeah, it's going to be charmed or banished or held or right. God knows. I mean, and that's why they have legendary monsters. Sure. Yeah. So that, that yeah. They can't they can't quite do that. Um, yeah, the action economy matters a lot. What I want to try is, like, I, I really want to try having, like, a group of high-level people fight 100 skeletons. Yeah. You know, and, and then we'll see what the action economy is. Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, now, are, uh, you, are you going to have any ranged skeletons? Yeah, sure. depends on if they have yeah, bows. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be, yeah, it'll be, like, it'll be like 300. Yeah. You know, the, the, the sun will be, you know, the, 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 you know, they'll fight in the shade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and I want to try. I've never actually used the DMG rules for mob combat, where you sort of work the math out mm-hmm. ahead of time, and you say like, when they attack, you take this much damage. Yeah, yeah. That was the that was one of my other alternatives that I that I was thinking. But the yeah. mobs I'm doing aren't that big, so I didn't really go there yeah. yet. See, I think I would I would. It would depend on the situation. I think Sam, you're talking about either doing the swarm or mob versus mm-hmm. the the minion rules or whatever and i think it would depend on the situation like if it was 15 um and and the tactics mattered i think um minion rules yeah, makes, makes hey. a lot of sense if yeah. it was just the unruly yeah. un, undisciplined horde or, or whatever then the swarm sort of makes sense who uh who was talking about hex and the charm and the thing that was the, just the, the hex and the, the stunning yeah. strike. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking at this spell now. You place a curse on a target creature you see within range. Until the spell ends, you deal an extra d6 necrotic damage whenever you hit. Also, choose one ability when you uh, cast a spell. The target has disadvantage on ability checks made with that chosen ability. Ah, not save. Not saves. So mm. your, group, your group has been screwing you all. They this have. Time. My rules lawyer even <laughs> plays it yeah, that that's way. A level, that's a level one spell. Oh, I you know. Disadvantage on saves is a bunch of BS. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Now, you know what you should do? Here's what you need to do. Put, like, big brutes, and then not don't tell them, and then he'll try it. And you're like, yeah, that's not how it works. And then have the brutes kick the crap out. <laughs> that's what I would yeah. do. Get vengeance. Well, that, that's, and that's, um, that's my rules lawyer that plays the warlock, so I'll have to, yeah, we'll have to have yeah. that conversation. One of those selective rules lawyers who doesn't actually read the parts they don't want to read. I suspect he read it and then and just interpreted ability check. That, that, that ability check isn't yeah. the same. Yeah. Well, it's you know, uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So oh, yeah. that's what I... But that yeah. only, like that's so situational, though. Like I'm not yeah. going to throw a warlock in every encounter, you know? So. Right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You're fighting the cult. Anyway, but yeah, so, um, yeah, so, I mean, if, it, if anybody's like, I, I'm going to write up the, I'm going to, I'm in the middle of, I've actually have about a half a blog post written about the, the minion thing. Yeah. Uh, I remember you mentioned I, it on Twitter. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to write it up and I, and I'm going to do it in the context of converting, you know, fourth edition to, to fifth edition. Uh-huh. Cause I'm, I'm, I also said, I'm going to write up my Thunderspire stuff, which I'm also in the middle of. Um, and I decided to combine those. But, uh, you know, the thing is, the thing about the minion thing is it's so easy. It's so easy to keep track of. Mm-hmm. So that's why I chose it as the first way to do that, <laughs> because it's so easy yep. um, from from the DM perspective. Oh, yeah. uh, so, you know, but I want to give I want to give the other two things a try, too. But, um, yeah, the minion, it worked out nicely. It worked yeah, out nicely. The fourth edition minion rules, you don't have to do like really any prep. I mean, yeah, you can just do that on the fly. So, 
you just really have to be thoughtful about how much damage yeah, you're allowing sure. them to do in fifth they're edition. Pretty, and, yeah, they're pretty yeah. weak. Or, they're weak. Right. Yeah. Right on. So. All right. Well, your time was over like yeah, ten, 10 minutes ago. So uh, you, you've both gone a good twenty-five minutes on your fifteen-minute clock. So you, so you get four minutes, Jeff. I get yeah, four. That's yeah, right. Right. that's about right. That's about right. Uh, but before I get my four minutes, I want to to let everybody easy roller dice. No, yeah. well, <laughs> I'd love to talk Not about easyrollerdice.com. But I do want to let people know that if they want to support the show, there's other ways to do it as well. You can support us by becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash the tome show. Uh, you can go shopping on Amazon or DMs Guild using the affiliate links. You can get to from thetomeshow.com and then just click on through. You get the exact same Amazon, the exact same DMs Guild, but they know you came from us and because uh, they, they put a little cookie on your browser. Uh, and, and we get credit for that, and, and they throw a few coppers our way. And that's actually the the, uh, the Amazon uh, rewards is, is the way that I try to show my appreciation to all the other hosts and people who work on the podcast because uh, I, I share out those um, gift cards that I get from Amazon every month to a, a different contributor to the show. So if you want to also show your appreciation, make sure to shop over at Amazon through our link. So, all right, my turn. Starting the clock. So, um, I think last time we talked, they had finished Graven Hollow. Is that sound about right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. So, I think they, they finished Graven Hollow, and they, they got back up to the surface and whatever, and, and uh, they made it back to Gauntelgrim, only in my version of the world, Gauntelgrim is in the Rocky Mountains, or as it is known, <laughs> the Mountains of Rock. Yeah. yeah. See? I'm clever. Um. So so yeah so I've I've like not changed any of the names from the adventures that I'm using all the names are the same but it's in you know my post apocalyptic fantasy earth uh, setting so um, they got to Gauntelgrim they they sort of wrapped up things they've started to discover the beauty of teleportation circles and so they're starting to sort of build a library of known teleportation circles that they can pop around to to, to so we can save the let's let's play out an entire six hour session of 20 days of random encounters because yeah, that, that, that gets that, tiresome real fast. And yeah, my group also is the same way. They got teleport and now the game's much easier. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and I still get to do a little bit with it and I don't really like random encounters anyway unless I can, you know, do something meaningful with it or add something to the story or explain something about the world through the encounters or whatever. Um, so they, through their teleportations, they managed to, to get back to, uh, from Gontelgrim, back to their sort of headquarters, the, the Citadel Defense Force Island, the CDF as we, as we call them. They're sort of that, they're the military of the, the collection of countries that they represent, and they're all sort of a, a, a group that's part of that military organization. So they went back to their headquarters, basically, and they found that the, the entire base, the entire island was, was in a tizzy like they were all freaking out and they were mobilizing and people were getting on their ships and and running all over the place and arming themselves and whatever because as they figured out um the the bug-like hive creatures were were swarming um the free realms that's the name of their their collection of countries they were swarming the free realms uh territory and so the military was going crazy needing to deal with that. They've got this this weird anomaly in the middle of the islands. Uh, it's sort of the islands form a ring, and in the middle of it, there's this weird maelstrom thing, and nobody really knows what's there because the CDF keeps everybody away and whatever. Uh, and what it actually is is it's a it's a magical maelstrom that was created when um, 
when the, the basically the big cataclysm that happened on Earth happened, and, and there's several of these all over all over the world. But the Free Realms people have figured out how to harness some of that magical energy to to continue to power their machines. So they're running around with like functional engines and things in their ships that nobody else has, because because that makes them special, right? That's how they've been able to sort of fend off all of the people who would like to see them wiped from the, from the Earth. So in any case, long story short, uh, they see all that going on. I sort of tease to my um, my Gear Forged character, the 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 David Bowie tribute uh, Japanese robot. I, th- I think I've talked about him. Yeah. So I, I hinted that like slowly they've been building up knowledge about how he was created and how he's powered and where he came from and all that kind of stuff. And they found like a warehouse full of them, but they're all deactivated. None of them have these soul gems that powers it and, and whatever. Uh, and then all of a sudden for the first time they're on the island seeing the military mobilizing and they see a unit of like five of these guys walking across and our Gear Forge guy's freaking out. It's like, wait a minute, no, I'm unique. I'm no, nobody else has done this and, and I don't like the fact that there's others and what's going on and he's like he doesn't know what to think about the whole situation um, but regardless they get there and they're like well so we got this thing taken care of but this is the only thing we can focus on meanwhile we have found out that over on the Dasaran Island which is where uh, the Princess of the Apocalypse storyline stuff is going on right instead of the Dasaran Valley it's the Dasaran Island um, so over in, right. in, in the Dasaran Island um one of the cities, one of the small towns on the island has, has been completely obliterated and wiped off the earth, right? It doesn't exist anymore. All the people are dead. There's been tornadoes and there's been earthquakes and there's been rains of fire and, and flooding and all these things, right? Uh, so, so things there aren't going well, you know, since you've been gone for like two or three months and you were the only people dealing with it. Uh, but also, we saw some weird thing fall out of the sky in the opposite direction, um, we don't have time to deal with either of those. And whatever the weird thing is that fell out of the sky, we feel like other people are going to be, be hunting for that too because it was really obvious and clear and it would probably be good if we got to that before our enemies did. So anyway, you guys figure out where you want to go. We got to go fight these bug creatures. <laughs> right? So that, that way I can like sort of ramp up the tension of this conflict but not have the party have to like go do a big mass ca- combat uh, against bug creatures. Right. Uh, and so they opted to go to the thing that fell out of the sky, which was out of, off on the mainland, kind of over in Mongolia-ish area. Uh, and so they trekked through the land, and this is sort of wild territory, and nobody from the Free Realms ever really goes there anymore because it's just it's run by, by you know, trolls and giants and, and orcs and whatever. So nobody really deals with it. There's nothing, nobody to trade with over there. They just sort of leave it alone. Uh, so I used this as, as, as an opportunity of, well, you make landfall and it's in a lar- the large ruins of, uh, of an ancient city, right? Some big city, port city of, in, in uh, China was my vision, right? Your, whatever the city is. I, don't, I, I didn't specify. Mm-hmm. But what they discovered there is that um, there were intelligent sentient ghouls in the city, which was my version of a random encounter, Right, that that <laughs> it, it wasn't important or whatever. But what I did was I in, I inserted um, the Kobold Press concept of the Empire of the Ghouls. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, sure. From um, from Zobat. Uh, from, yeah, right. Yeah. From Kobold Press. From from. Midgard. Yeah, Midgard. Yeah. So, so the idea is that there's this large empire of intelligent ghouls that largely live in the Underdark or whatever, right? Uh, and and in my version, they still do, but they've sort of created this outpost in this ruined Chinese city, right? So, um, 
so they they kind of had a diplomatic encounter with one of these ghouls who's like, uh, why are you in our territory? And they're like, uh, sorry, just passing through. Didn't you realize anybody was here? And they worked it all out and they sort of went along their way, avoiding the conflict and whatever. Um, they got to the crater from whatever fell from the sky where it landed, but whatever it was was completely buried. But there luckily was a, a large crevice in an underground river nearby. And this is where I pulled out Storm King's Thunder and used the Stone Giant Lair. Uh, yeah. as my location, right? Uh, I'm not running that adventure, but I'm like, this is a great spot for me to just rip something out of there and stick it in and, and you know, basically said that if you follow the river all the way back and then go past the stone giant layer, uh, continuing to follow the river, you would eventually get to this thing that fell out of the sky. And they had some shenanigans with the stone giants or whatever as they worked their way through that. Um, and But they managed to get through and find the thing that fell from the sky, which it turns out uh, was a satellite, so the idea is that uh, many, many moons ago, before the, the big cataclysm that made the world all fantasy-ish, um, the people on Earth sent a satellite into space full of like scientists and researchers and whatever to try to figure out what the heck is going on and how to reverse it. But they needed them to be not on Earth so they wouldn't be affected by whatever this weird radiation is, right? I completely ripped off the idea from The 100 I've been watching on Netflix. It's a, it's a sci-fi series where they basically do the same thing because there's a, like a nuclear war. <laughs> so, so the idea was then that they, they get into this, the ruins of this satellite that, that's buried. Uh, and I pulled only creatures from the Tome of Beasts, from Cobalt Press's Tome of Beasts for this entire um, little mini dungeon satellite thing. Uh, except for they, they ran into some drow. That was my, my reminder. Oh, yeah, remember, other groups are trying to get this thing too, right? Uh, and they get in there and, and they find um, that um, all of the, of course, all the people are dead. It's been hundreds of years or thousands of years or whoever knows. Like nobody has any idea how long it's been. Uh, but um, those that have survived have transferred their souls into what are effectively gear forged. Only they're more advanced than the player character is because, you know, he was built all the way at the beginning of this cataclysm and they've been updating and, and revising and iterating all these years. And, and so there was one left that was there and the one left that was there like pulls out his tricorder and does a little scan of our Gearforge character and says, oh, hey, you're a Dr. Aladdin Sane. I know you. And of course, the, the character's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're crazy. Right, <laughs> right, and and I pulled the name Aladdin Sane as his original soul's name, uh, and and also laid the bomb on him that oh yeah, and you're the one who invented the Gear Force, you created all of this, hmm. um, and Aladdin Sane is a reference to a persona that David Bowie used to to perform under uh, during certain tours or whatever, right? So, so I stole that because you know he's the David Bowie guy, right? Nice touch, yeah. Uh, and so they did all that. And meanwhile, weird things were going on because in the lab across the hall from where this, this guy was, um, they, they had a, a, a temporal device that allowed them to run experiments in a much shorter amount of time. So like you needed to grow bacteria. It's going to take 180 days to grow the bacteria. Well, just, just crank up the, the temporal device and we'll, we'll run through that 180 days in an hour or whatever, right? Science goes way faster that way. <laughs> Uh, except that in the crash, it, it broke and was leaking temporal energy. So what they eventually discovered was uh, time is flowing differently around that device than it is out in the rest of the world. And so um, eventually, they, when they first leave, they discover that you know it's, it's been a month and we've only been in here for like an hour. 
that's weird. Um, so they also discovered while they were in there that they were that the the scientists and researchers that that were there were working on a new transportation um, vehicle, right? Basically, uh, a small shuttle, a, a little mini spaceship thing, uh, and it was still attached to the outside, but buried under the the ground from the crater. Uh, and so they started to, to futz around with that and try to figure out how to get it out. And I was going to have it be a a thing where it needed it needed basically it needed a power source and the power source it would be functional on was the the soul gem so basically the gear forge would have to attach it to his own power source and power himself self down in order to power the ship um but ultimately they decided it wasn't worth the effort of like digging it out um so so they're like well time is fu- is wonky and we'd have to not only dig it out so we can get into it because the doorway was partially buried but we then have to dig the whole thing out uh, i wasn't going to tell them it would have enough power to, to lift itself out of the ground so they're like we're gonna have to dig the whole thing out we'll need a, a digging crew it's going to be a whole thing it's going to take months and if, and and months in around this temporal thing is going to take years and we don't have time for that people are dying um, and that that was our hour hour and a half long debate <laughs> was whether or not they leave it or not <laughs> right so the stakes were really high right Mike yeah um, so eventually they decided forget it we're leaving we're we're going back um, they made it back to um, the mainland um, easily enough because they could teleport at that point you, you don't because uh, you could draw a temporary teleportation circle is what it was so they drew a temporary teleportation circle and teleported out. Uh, and went back to their home base, uh, at which point they decided to go back to the Dasaran Island because in the month that they'd been gone, um, the the hive creatures had basically been been pushed back, but they were waiting for a second wave, uh, and another town on Dasaran Island had been completely obliterated, and the natural disasters continued. So, like, well, this needs mm-hmm. to be dealt with. So, um, so they and there's a bunch of little tiny towns on Dasaran, so I don't feel bad about like raising the stakes by destroying them. <laughs> you know, oh no, this cow pen has basically been destroyed. Um, <laughs> you know, which I mean, yes. So anyway. Um, so they went. They went back to Disarn Island and uh, have decided that the first place they want to go to is the Water Cult um, part of the of the temple, right? So they've dealt with the, the surface of all four elements. They've gone into the Earth Temple and basically completely obliterated it. They got Iron Fang, um, which they didn't use for like months, and then finally the Barbarian decided. I need to destroy this magic item. I know what I, what can do it. Give me that. Give me that pick, right? So. They're using Iron Fang, but now they've decided to go check out the Water Cult, and we just sort of barely scratched the surface and got into the Water Cult before we, we sort of ran out of time. Um, so anyway, that's that's where I've been recently, um, and, and I'm and I'm trying to figure out. Um, well, I'm trying to figure out two things. One, um, what happened to the Earth Temple in the three months that they've been gone? Like clearly, no, the other people aren't just going to leave it there, and there's they they. So the way the the Princes of the Apocalypse sort of dungeon works is that there's the surface sort of front for each of the temples, and then there's the temple underneath there. But then they both they all go down into a deeper sort of central temple and then split off again into the different elemental nodes. So just because they've they've destroyed the Earth Temple does not mean that all of the Earth cultists are gone. But mm-hmm. it does it definitely leaves them in a position of weakness and and it feels like the other cults would take advantage of that. Like yeah, probably, I, I don't think that the earth temple probably exists anymore, but I feel like well, it's, it's probably been conquered by one of the other cults. 
Yeah, and it's possible there's like little factions of them left sticking around. Maybe even people that are so weak that the the the, the party can sort of connect with them. Yeah. Well, ultimately, you know? it didn't matter because they didn't go there, right? They went into the the water one, but they all connect, so they could wander from the water over into Earth and whatever. So. Yeah, I mean, the idea that it may have collapsed on itself. I mean, that 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 to me is kind of fun. You know that that idea that. Um, you know, they've seen they've seen the results. They can go in and see the wrecked Earth Temple and, and yeah. you know dead Earth cultists everywhere. Maybe they're enslaved by the other groups, you know. And maybe mm-hmm. uh, maybe Ogremach contacts them and says, Hey, my, my group failed, but I can still use your help. <laughs> oh sure. Yeah, well and I have you know, I have the one guy who now uses uh Iron Fang regularly. Um and, and that's uh, I've I've kind of gotten to a place now where Almost everybody has voices in their head. I mean, Ogre, uh, uh, Iron Fang doesn't actually speak in you to your in your head. It's more sympathetic, right? It, it expresses emotion and encourages you to go out and destroy things. Which I mean, that was the barbarians. That was pretty closely tied to the barbarians' um, flaw up for his character anyway. Is that he's you know rash to act and and doesn't think things through. And so it just sort of fit in really. You know, when I told him, that, well, you you picked up this flaw. He's like, yeah, I kind of already had that anyway. <laughs> so right. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's it but i also have um i used the 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 gym for frazer blue um from from the other one out of the abyss um to to put a sliver of frazer blue's intelligence inside of another character who's always constantly like i can help you with this let let me be of assistance sir because of course they don't they don't know it's frazer blue and they even did some like right. scrying and stuff to find out who the original <laughs> intelligence was and it's, it's just some guy sitting on a on a throne or whatever right because he's, he's frazer blue right he can i'm sure he doesn't sit around looking like a demon all the time he knows that people can right. scry and stuff and if he does like he can know when they're doing it and make himself look like whatever he wants he's the demon <laughs> prince of illusion um so so anyway yeah so they've got that guy in there and i'm heavily in, i was heavily inspired on that one by um uh the dresden files with the the i don't know if either one of you have read dresden files mm-hmm. no okay well, not in a while he, he picks I, up I've at one point card game yeah so at one point he picks up a a coin uh an ancient greek denarii <clears throat> that um contains the spirit of a fallen angel and he's saving a kid from it or whatever, right? And he knows what it is and he knows the, the dangers and whatever. So he picks it up and then he immediately like stuffs it in a bag or whatever. But he touched it for just that moment. Uh, and so he goes back to his lab and he, and he buries it under the ground and he, and he lays new cement. And it's, it's under, it's under his, the floor. Nobody knows it's there and it's safe or whatever. But he touched it for just that moment. And so this, this sliver of this fallen angel is still in Harry Dresden mind for like several books. And constantly just being super helpful. Right and, and was in his mind for so long that it actually sort of evolved its own sentience and intelligence separate from the original entity. Uh, hmm. And so I kind of stole that idea for Frazer Blue, right? Sure, you destroyed the gem. Frazer Blue is gone. But you grabbed that gem for just a moment, and there's a sliver of that intelligence still in you. And it's super helpful. Like I've, That's the monk character. And I've even gotten him now to take an Infernal Pact Warlock level um, you know, with Frazer Blue being <laughs> nice. being his patron, but he doesn't even know it. Like, he wanted to do a warlock level anyway, and I'm like, well, you'd have to find a patron. Although, a voice in your head tells you they would be happy to assist you with this, you know? So, uh, so at this point, like, they're really, really suspicious of any suggestions that come from that voice in his head. Um, 
but at this point, like, I'm not trying to, to stab him in the back at all. Like, the voice in the head has access to all kinds of knowledge and, and all kinds of power and is nothing but helpful at this point. And they refuse to take any help. I haven't because I don't want to. I like I want to lull them into a sense of, of false security there, right? And then, like five levels from now, suddenly things will go crazy. Um, you know, get him really comfortable, yeah. and then and then stab him in the back because it's a demon lord. Uh, but you know, so he's got a voice in his head, uh, and then my my chaos sorcerer um, undergoes a a ritual. We decided as, as sort of in our role playing thing. Uh, undergoes this yearly ritual as part of his family's tradition, which uh, is actually how he first got his powers. And it, he had this weird Cthuloid sort of vision, and he was floating through space, and there were creatures and tentacles and whatever. Um, but the important part of that was that when he came out of that, he was suddenly able to hear the hive mind of these bug creatures. Uh, mm. and, and so he's hearing voices too. Like everybody's got something talking to them in their heads. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't. He yeah. doesn't know it's. He doesn't know it's the hive mind, or he does. He, know. He, I think they're starting. He's starting to figure that out. He just doesn't. He's not quite sure what's going on with them. Like when when we created the world, like I had the players come up with a bunch of the concepts for the world and. Um, one of the ideas that actually this character, this player came up with was, well, the big bad enemy is these bug creatures, this, these hive creatures that uh, mm-hmm. have swarmed and taken over South America or whatever. And then I very quickly after that got an idea in my head. Actually, you just think they're the bad guys because you can't understand them. Right. I, I think I stole that idea from Ender's Game. I'm full of inspiration tonight. Uh, so so uh, that one came from Ender's Game, right? Like, they're not really the bad guys. You just have no means of communicating with them. They have no right. language. They, they have sort of a, a psionic, telepathic hive mind thing going on. Uh, so you have no idea what's going on. And really, they're just like super ultra lawful creatures that are trying to contain the chaos that have been released by these, these maelstroms, these portals, whatever, that created the, the world as it is. Uh, and so that's why they keep attacking your country, not because they're going after you. They're just trying to get through you to this this center of chaotic magic so they can contain it and destroy it or whatever. Uh, so so this is where I've started to sort of hint at that storyline. And, and I don't think he's quite picked up on it yet. Um, you know, And then, of course, the warlock doesn't have a voice in his head, but he does have a mentor who sometimes pops in and, and gives him suggestions. Because <laughs> if you're not doing that with a warlock patron, what the hell's the point, right? Right. Um, so, anyway, yeah, all kinds of fun craziness there. But but and and um, the the automaton does not have a voice in his head. Uh, but I kind of thought that the ship could end up being a little bit like that because um, I stole that idea from the book Secrets of Solace by Julie Johnson, who used to write D and D books. Uh, now she's got a new series uh, in her own world called uh, the world, world is called Solace, and it's just full of really cool ideas of, of weird fantasy technology sci fi sort of mixed up elements. So anyway, I have also gone well over my time, um, and and ultimately I don't have any pressing questions because uh, it looks like my game to, on Saturday, so in two days. Uh, is not going to be the normal game because too many people can't make it. So I'm going to do a one-shot of Fantasy Age, I think. Hmm. So so that's where I'm at. Cool. All right. Good. Any last thoughts? Nope. All right. Mm-mm. Then we're going to go ahead and call... Well, I oh, do yes. have a last thought yes. for, uh, for our listeners. If they want to chime in and talk to us about these things, mm-hmm. please send us emails or Twitter messages or... 
Anything else? Yeah, you can email the, sure. tome, the tome show at gmail.com. You can tweet me. I am at S-Q-U-A-C-H. I also run the, the podcast Twitter at The Tome Show. Uh, you can leave a Facebook comment, and we can get that. Uh, Sam is at DM Samuel. Yes? Yep. DM Samuel, one word, or is there an underscore between DM and Samuel? Nope, no underscore. No underscore. Just DM Samuel uh, straight up. And Mike is at Sly Flourish. Correct. All right, so you now you know how to get a hold of all of us. Uh, and did I mention you can email the tome show at gmail.com? I don't know if I did or not. Um, <laughs> and, of course, if you're a patron, you can you can bring the conversation over there. Um, I'm, I'm very uh, upfront with the patrons. Whatever they want to know, I, I share it. So that's where we're at. All right. Awesome. Then I'm going to go ahead and call into this episode, this, this bonus extra long episode. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so, I mean, each of us fifteen minutes. It should have been a forty-five minute episode. We're at an hour, almost <laughs> almost an hour twenty now. <laughs> so, yeah, but you know what? People seem to enjoy the show, so uh, uh, it's it's a bonus. They'll they'll enjoy the extra. I can always yeah. listen at one and a half speed. There you can. I mean, I always listen at, at one and a half or two times speed. So, all right. Well, then we're gonna call it good. And actually, we'll probably see you in a few weeks because we recorded this episode late, and July is just around the corner. So, uh, say goodbye, guys. Goodbye, guys. Bye.